Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 196 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 21st, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later. It's such a big show. So much was going on this week. I think we're going to do a separate podcast just for recruiting. We've got a lot of recruiting questions. USC getting that big win. How's that going to help in the recruiting world? So we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez. We'll do a Trojan Blast coming up on Tuesday. Uh, so we'll do that one tomorrow. So we'll have a second, a separate podcast, a second podcast you can listen to just for the recruiting topics. You can email us questions on that if you want to get in for that. If you're listening to this now and you want to get a recruiting question, then email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can always email us for the next week's show after the UCLA game. And uh, we do love the voicemail questions. You call us at 206-888-6755 is the voicemail number. Leave a brief voicemail, and we will play it on the air. we got a few of those again today. And we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Huge win up in Eugene. Coach, what's going on? How you doing? Is there anything bigger than huge? What's uh, huge? That's Enormous, huge. That's bigger than huge. Epic. That's huge, huge. Isn't that a great, that was a great Trojan victory. It really was, Ryan. And congratulations to all the Trojan fans and families with Trojan players and alumnus and everything. Because this is something what USC football wants and is. And what should I say? The Trojans are back. It's proud to be a, you're proud to be a Trojan. For sure, and uh, wanted to thank our sponsor before we get into this. We've got a lot to break down in this game. Southern California Tickets, setickets.com. Give them a call, 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Uh, I am going to Wicked coming up in early December, Coach. So if you wanted to go take your, your wife or your girlfriend to that, give SC Tickets a, a call. Also, you want to go to that UCLA game this weekend. Should be a packed house. Go to setickets.com, and they'll uh, hook you up. They certainly will hook you up, buddy. It's uh, They're really nice to you there. They'll take care of you, and they don't abuse you, and they give you great customer service. That's Southern California Ticket Service. That's where I go to, Ryan. All right. Well, Coach, I don't know who predicted this. When people ask me about prediction, I said I gave USC about a 30% chance to win. I didn't think that USC could win by losing the turnover battle. I think we have a question about that coming up, too, but... Um, you know, losing the turnover battle, giving up a kickoff return for a touchdown, still playing well enough uh, to come out with that victory. I mean, really impressive, and you, you, your hat's got to go off to Lane Kiffin. Coach Lane Kiffin. You're exactly right. It, your hat does have to go off, uh, go out to him because uh, he took on an, an almost an impossible situation. I agree with you, uh, except both teams were preseason favorites to win the North and the South. So it was the uh, Pac-12 championship game. They were a 15-point underdog. It was a Nike uh, promotional night as far as with all the NBA players there and so on for all the recruits in the nation to see uh, what Oregon is all about. And uh, uh, they, they, they really it was a show-off of the Oregon football program. 21 straight home games, 19 straight Pac-12 uh, wins, uh, the, the whole thing. You know, it was, it, was a, it was a big setup that a lot of people – 
couldn't really imagine it happening, but it did. And, you know, all the different combinations of Oregon, whatever uniform they would have worn of their 72 or 172 or whatever, they'll never wear that set of uniforms again because it didn't work. So USC in their traditional style went to uh, Eugene, as they've done in the past, and came home with a victory that gave them their ninth win. They're 9-2 and two and set up now the great crosstown rivalry between UCLA. And I, you know, I'm not real happy about the time of the kickoff, but who cares what time the kickoff is really when it comes down to a city championship with two teams winning, one team having a chance to go 10-2, and two, and the other probably going to the uh, Pac-12 championship game back in Eugene where SC just left. So uh, if this would have been a regular season and SC could have gone to the championship game, Ryan, they would be going back to Eugene next week. Can you believe this, to play that championship game? And how unfair is that? Very. Whoever set, whoever set that up as far as the administrators, Larry Scott, or whoever's in charge of that, the conference commissioner, man, I'll tell you uh, – that is absolutely ridiculous. But we didn't come to hear me give a sermon on any of these things. We came here to talk and answer questions of our callers. You, we love your sermons, Coach. Come on. that's a, uh, Yeah, that certainly would be uh, unfair if you're talking about doing something like that. But, man, you just, just just the way this team has finished, and I think uh, I wrote a piece over the weekend about this. what you want your coach to be able to do is make your team get better every week. And I know sometimes – teams go up and they go down later on it the, the team didn't play all that well early in the season but I think you can honestly say that this is a team that's got better every week they've seen problems they've fixed them and and they're playing the best ball they're playing right now at the end of the season which is what you want you're exactly right at the beginning of the season this team did not have an identity it wasn't sure who they were what they could do or and they lacked the confidence uh, of everything that they now have the beginning of the year, there was they were one-dimensional on offense. It was just Robert Woods and Mark, Matt Barkley. Later, they discovered they could spread the field and they had other great athletes: Marquise Lee, Grimble, Ellison. Uh, you mentioned the Telfer. All these great receivers and great running backs. They finally got away from the, the running back by committee and they selected who their two backs were going to be. The timing between McNeil and Tyler and the offensive line came together. The offensive line came together. Now is only allowed six sacks and they're rushing the football why is the play action pass working because they've established a running game which they really didn't believe in and they really could run a little bit more as far as i'm concerned but you know they now have an identity on offense they are in defense they've determined their identity which is going to be speed they want to play speed against speed they're moving the offseason of putting bailey now to a linebacker and pollard plays better than anyone thought he could play and now Dawson in, uh, in the middle is, is learning every week, will eventually be an outstanding linebacker and live up to number 55. T.J. McDonald has lived up to what he's thought to be in the whole package, along with Roby, I think, had his best year, and he's a kid with a lot of heart. I compare Roby with McNeil, two little guys with huge hearts that can't wait to bring it to the game. And I, I tell you, I love that type of attitude from those type of players. And they really did play fast. And let me just end by saying this. Never in my life did I think that Oregon would give up at the end of a football game. Here they are talking about five fast pace, fast pace, fast pace. And at the end of that game, they were flustered. 
here is Chip Kelly playing for a tie at home with a field goal kicker that has never kicked in a pressure situation before when they've been winning by 20 or 30 points a game. He slowed the game down when they were moving the ball up and down the field, and probably if he didn't have done that, might have won the football game. But he was afraid of a turnover or interception. He slowed it down and put it on this kid's shoulders to play for a tie at home in Eugene. And I'm going to tell you, that's when you say the defensive job of what Monty Kiffin and staff did won the battle. They won the battle because they beat him psychologically. They beat his mind. He didn't know what to do. He was thinking instead of calling the play and understanding what he was putting on that kicker's shoulders. I knew, I knew he was going to miss that field goal because that kid wasn't prepared to win a football game. And if you listened to the morning brunch yesterday, John Baxter said the last thing he told the team on Friday night before they went to bed was, if it comes down to a field goal, we'll win the game. And that's exactly what's happened. Pretty impressive, Coach. Yeah, John Baxter would be uh, – I heard him on the show. I thought it was great hearing what he had to say. Um, it, it, the roles were a little bit reversed here, and I want to get kind of get your thoughts on this. USC went to Notre Dame. They put a lot of hype into the, the game. There was a lot of recruits there, changing, you know, putting it at night and all that stuff, and it, it just didn't work. And I don't know if you think – well, you could put all this pressure on yourself by making this game super important against a team like USC if you don't win – what happens? I think Oregon did the same thing. Um, you know, they brought a bunch of recruits. They had NBA all-stars on the sidelines and Phil Knight, you know, up there in the, the press box and all of that. Um, and then you end up losing the game. But it, I, I think with what Arizona State did was put a lot of stock into, oh, we want to beat USC. And they, they really focused on that and it ended up working. And, and I think USC would love to get that game back right now. Uh, but Oregon had to do that the week before against Stanford. I think they put a lot into that game, and it almost was like USC got overlooked. That's not really happened to USC before. There's never usually, you know, they're not there's they're not, they're not the guy hitting behind Barry Bonds in the lineup. They're usually Barry Bonds, you know. And you're worried about getting USC out of the, as opposed to the guy after that. But do you think USC benefited at all from playing after the Stanford game? Well, I don't want to say that, but I was thinking that, okay? I don't want to take anything away from the victory. But it's awful hard to get your team at the same emotional uh, high, going to Stanford, playing. Here's a three playing in the floor as far as for the conference championship uh, of the North and uh, come back the next week and be just equally as, as high. Yet they were high, don't get me wrong, but take the University of Washington. They couldn't do it this week. I mean, after the SC game, they went and uh, they were beaten by Oregon State. It happens all the time. Stanford struggled uh, after losing to Oregon. They beat Cal 31-28. So there's a lot of emotion involved in that. Don't get me wrong. But let's don't take away any of that from the, what SC did because they knew what was on the line. It was a recruiting thing. They had set the stage. Uh, SC didn't fly all those people in to watch this championship game or, or make it the Nike Bowl or whatever you want to call it. I, I called it something different yesterday. <laughs> but but it, it, was, it was a great, great Trojan victory. No matter who played who the week before or after it and so on. And I have a real good feeling that that emotion will carry USC into the UCLA game. They know it's their final game. Final game. Everyone else is moving on. Everyone else is going to have another 20, 30 days of practice. 
Everyone is going to be uh, talking about their bowl game, while SC is going to have to sit. They're going to have to think about it. They're going to be with their family on the, the holidays. They're not going to be enjoying what they should be enjoying, and that will set the stage for next year. The days they miss in practice will be made up, believe me. Knowing this SC team, I'll bet you they're back in the weight rooms in one week, wanting to work out on their own. The coaches might not tell them, hey, we're going to start workouts, but it's holidays. No, those kids will start to get ready. Rehab, do what they need to do to come back and play next year. Because sometimes negatives turn into positives. And I think in this situation with USC, and I talked about it yesterday, and I hate to repeat myself, no one in the Pac-12 came to their rescue when the NCAA gave them that probation and those sanctions which are unheard of. No one, not even the commissioner. Nobody stood up and said, that's ridiculous, or let's appeal it, or let's boycott, or let's all write a letter to the NCAA as a conference. No one. They all looked at USC and they all said, this is our chance to get even. This is our chance to catch up with USC. They were more or less happy about it because of the dominance that USC had had. So what SC really did because it's USC, they overcame that negative uh, feeling and they showed the conference that, hey, you can do and think what you want but we're still USC, and they and they were able to pull that off. And I think that's a tremendous accomplishment by these players and coaches to overcome what the penalties were by the NCAA, which is unheard of, to be able to recruit players off your team, to be able to do not even – look who they had on their sideline. SC can't even have anyone on their sideline. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And they allow this type of stuff. But you know one thing they didn't allow? They, they let them keep, Brian, I'm going to tell you this and we'll move it on. They didn't say they couldn't be on TV. Why? The Trojan brand is so big that the affiliates and the people who pay the billions of dollars for television needed USC on television. Whether they won or lost, they had to have them on television. So... Because the financial reasons, they said, oh, you can be on TV, but you can't do all these other things. So uh, it sort of worked great, didn't it, when you went possibly 10 games on TV? Not bad. So, and, uh, I, and Coach, and I, I want to make it clear. I thought USC dominated the game. The, the line of scrimmage is what I was impressed with. The fact that they could run the ball and control the ball, keep it away from Oregon. They had a couple you know, miscues, the, the interception where it looked like there was a hold. Uh, against Woods, and you shouldn't have been an interception. Obviously, just, you you know, fumbling a snap and fumbling the exchange. It wasn't like Oregon forced those turn, you know those turnovers there. Um, but there, it did get a little hairy towards the end. And this our first question, a voicemail question. Actually, he sent this in. He called this in during the game when it was still kind of in doubt. So hey, listen to this question. Hey Ryan, Coach, I'm Doug from Florida, and I'd like to. Uh say that uh, I believe that the uh, Pac-12 is definitely doing everything they can to make sure USC doesn't finish in a good position to uh, lead in their, their division in the conference because uh, what I'm watching here right now, and it's six minutes left in the fourth quarter, is how can some of these officiating calls be made in, in, in any good conscience? 
I mean, uh, intentional grounding on a, a, a receiver that made the wrong cut, uh, holding penalty, blatant holding penalty at, at, on Woods. They couldn't catch the ball, was, was intercepted. And then this two-point conversion try where he definitely was on the end line. I'm sorry. Uh, I just don't don't see it, and I hope we can fight on. There we go. Yes. Out of bounds. All right. Thanks. Have a, have a, yeah, have a great show. Fight on. Again, take care. Well, um, let me tell you this. I couldn't have called in like you did. I was too nervous to call in. I was eating my big bag of potato chips, okay? And um, my wife was really upset at me for not letting anybody else have any. But uh, I want you to know, um, I was going to mention that on the pregame show, and I didn't because I didn't want to sound like I was a crybaby. But who was for USC to win this football game? Who? All the teams maybe that were battling Oregon as far as for the BCS championship game or a BCS bowl game. Why? Because if USC was to beat Oregon, that would knock them probably out of, well, it did, out of the national championship game and maybe out of a BCS bowl game, but not really because Oregon will play probably UCLA for the Pac-12 championship and go to the Rose Bowl. And if Stanford beats Notre Dame, they'll probably go to the Fiesta Bowl. So the Pac-12 will get two teams in the BCS bowl game, which would be a lot of money. But there wasn't anybody rooting for USC to beat Oregon. Not really, as far as Pac-12 members. Why? Because of the number of dollars that are generated from Pac-12 BCS Bowl games. Look at Boise State. Boise State was beaten by uh, TCU uh, two weeks ago. You know what that cost each member of the Mountain West Conference? A million dollars. A million dollars. There's a good chance Boise State won't go to a BCS Bowl game. They may. But if they don't, it's a million dollars per conference member. So who could have been rooting for USC to win that game against Oregon and the same thing against Stanford? No one, especially in the administration areas where uh, dollars are so important. So uh, I agree with you. You don't ever want to say officials would do things like that. You never want to make that type of thought. Otherwise, College football isn't what it is today. But sometimes when you watch things, you certainly have those thoughts, don't you? Yes, and I think a lot of people did. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Let's get to some of these questions, Coach. I know I wanted to uh, – I know, you know, we've had so many questions the last couple of weeks. I wanted to take a little bit longer just to get your thoughts, and later on we'll get Dan's thoughts because I, know, I do I love answering the questions, but we want to get some – just kind of banter, I guess, going beforehand. So that's why we're splitting off the recruiting segment. We'll do a kind of a double show. It's just such a big win, such a you know signature win was it at Notre Dame. This had to be some kind of epic win uh, for for Lane Kiffin up there. So I wanted to try to get some get some of your thoughts and then get to these questions. But um, here we have uh, this is Lawrence Hatchett from Dallas, Texas. He flew up to watch the game. It was his first game. He said it was priceless to watch all the Duck fans' faces on that missed field goal. My question is, and I have always supported Coach Lane Kiffin, but how do you think he will get his credit for winning in Oregon? How will he get his credit? Oh, he said, my question is, always supported Coach Lane. But now do you think he, I'm sorry, now do you think he will get his, his the credit he's due for winning in Oregon? Basically saying yeah, that I, they haven't been giving him much credit so far. Right. I, I, listen, I, I want to say this, and, and I agree. I, I was probably as critical as anyone at the beginning of the season, because I didn't think, and you heard me saying, spread the love, spread the field, use your other great athletes, get after people on defense. You heard me talk about all that stuff. And I think that team has adjusted to what now it is utilizing its strengths to win. 
they're running the football. They're playing just two receivers. They're, the, the, Matt uh, is able to understand two receivers and not have to throw the ball to six receivers or seven receivers. They found out they have other players that can play. Great recruiting, great players. Uh, the offensive line has become a unit. They weren't a unit at the beginning of the year. The defensive line at the beginning of the year wasn't playing up to what everybody expected them to be, the strength of the defense. But now against big wins against Notre Dame and taking a run away from Notre Dame and making them pass the football, taking the run against Stanford away and playing a great overtime game against Stanford, shutting down the inside run against Oregon and forcing them just to run the ball to the outside and pass, which they really want to do is run the football, the defensive front, two sacks against Oregon. Uh, really, they have an identity now, and they have confidence in their identity. And I think this is what comes from a head coach. This is what comes from a staff playing together and overcoming the uh, the things that you have to overcome, the criticisms that people give you. And you have to listen to some of them because I used to listen to some of them because they made sense that uh, something's wrong and we're not playing up to our recruiting abilities of the top players we have. And they've been able to do that, so we've got to give them credit for that. I was one that said he shouldn't be an offensive coordinator or head coach at the same time. But as he's matured, he's been able to do that. He's been able to get the offensive line coach to get the offensive line to play. The receiver coach, Gilmore, is now playing two receivers, and they're getting to learn to play together and complement each other, along with the tight ends. And Telfer's been a big surprise as far as a big receiver. So, you know, a team grows up, and this team has grown up. Now, when teams grow up, coaches grow up. You know, Coach Giffen's only 36 years old, so I don't want to say he's learning on the job, but you know what? You do learn on the job in anything you do. So I think his career now has made him mature and come along and understand, and he knows his team better. He knows his his offense better. He knows how to win better. He knows how to talk to the team, communicate to the team. And I, like I said on yesterday's Trojan Brunch show, and I hate to repeat this, I don't want to hear him talk about, we have three, all these freshmen playing because now these freshmen have learned you better hand out some razor blades. They've learned how to shave, and they're going to start shaving. They become men, and these guys should be given that credit. They're freshmen, but they're men. They're able to go in and win a war All right, or, uh, let's say, a battle, right? Battle, the war, yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Lawrence, for that one out of Texas. Uh, BSA, he says, how come the QB and running back coaches – do not train or come up with some kind of signal the quarterback to tell the running back whether it's a fake run so there won't be any confusions as we witness the very heartbreaking fumble at the most critical time of the game. Very harsh in there. People are, are harping on the fourth quarter, Coach, even though the USC dominated the rest of the game. <laughs> well, you know, everybody has a lot of ways of, of improving things after the fact because you have time to think about them. During a game, you got about 20 seconds or 15 seconds to figure out the situation down distance, what's happening, what do they do, what hash mark are we on, and 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 so on. But after the game, it's it's you know it's uh, something you can think about. That just was miscommunication. That's what that was. And uh, obviously, you could look at the arms of uh, Tyler, and he was expecting it to be a play action pass. He did not get the call. That's why you saw saw Barkley sort of barking at him a little bit going off the field because. Everyone knew it was run, but Tyler, and I'm not going to point my finger at Tyler because those things happen to young people in the excitement of a game. 
uh, one thing that I liked about it, uh, he wasn't benched because of it. And earlier, if you remember, during Lane Kiffin's career, when he was a younger coach, if somebody fumbled or did something, you never saw him again. He disappeared. They put him on the bus. No, he's matured. Hey, kids don't fumble and make mistakes on person purpose. He comes back and plays. They come back and play, and you go with your players. You know, and uh, uh, that crushed him. And I'm glad for one reason, not only that they won, but because I didn't want that monkey to be on that kid's back. Can you imagine that all your life thinking about that situation? So uh, those things happen. No, there's no hand signals. But one thing I want to mention about Kenny Palamala the running back coach. I don't know how many of you noticed it, but I noticed a lot of things during the game. I look for different things probably than you do. Everybody had a cap on or a hat on and, and we're in big jackets and everything. If you looked at Kenny Palamala, he had a coaching shirt on. That's it. A coaching shirt to show his toughness and belief that, Hey players, if you're wearing that, I'm wearing this. And I, I really admire that. And, and I, he went right through it and, uh, and uh, he wasn't cold uh, because he couldn't think cold. And that's the type of leader he was and, and is. And I admire that. All right. Uh, we got a few more to get to. Let's try to knock these out. Walter in London from the U.K. Great, great to get an international question. He said, amazing win. Uh, he said Sunday. It's actually Saturday. Uh, uh, alumni, the London Alumni Club was going mental watching the game. That being said, it should have finished 38-14 or 38-12 at the worst after shutting down Oregon for three quarters. What was our D doing differently in the fourth quarter that allowed so many unanswered touchdowns? Well, they weren't doing anything differently. I think that what happened is Oregon had figured out, too, a little bit of what they needed to do to win because their running game, the inside, the timing of their running game and so on wasn't there, and they'd shut them down. And they're a running football team. They're not a passing football team yet to get big plays out of the passing game. Oregon made some mistakes, too. You know, Oregon did some things that they dropped about four passes during the game, which are necessary to do to beat them. You've got to make mistakes. They made mistakes, too, against LSU. One thing you've got to remember, too, is uh, that uh, during the game, you get a little bit more tired. You find out what coverages people are running. You miss, try to mismatch Anthony Thomas and a linebacker. You do different things. And just like John Baxter said, you know, he instructed the kicker, don't kick the ball to DeAnthony Thomas on the kickoff. Do not kick it to him. And he says, where does the kid kick it? Right to him. And that's when they ran it back for a touchdown. And, you know, he's a very dangerous kid, so you don't want to kick the ball to him. And he told him, don't kick it to him, but kids do things. So there's breakdowns that happen during the football game, and and I think what happened, uh, you know, Chip Kelly knows his offense better than anything else. And during the game, you start to figure out a little bit more what defenses are doing and so on and the weaknesses and so on. You start to exploit them. They ran the ball to the outside a lot in the second half. If you notice, their first half adjustment was to take, forget the inside game, just keep them honest, but let's run to the outside. And they lost contain to the outside. They were playing inside, tackles wrapped around on the combination block and so on and picked up the defensive backs and they had a great outside running game. So you try to stop everything, but you can't stop everything with Oregon. You know what you try to do is slow them down. They're going to get their points. They're going to get their points. So what you need to do is try to match them, hope they give you some breaks like turnovers, hope you you play a, uh, an air-free football game, which SC damn near did, except for a couple of 
things that happened, the interception, of course, and the fumble, and or two fumbles that happened. So, you know, take the win. Take the win. Be happy with the win and uh, move on, and they'll break it down. They were watching the game on the team plane coming back. Team plane, plane a ride back at LAX about 1.15. Only one guy was sleeping on the plane. That's Marcus Martin. <laughs> big, big freshman tackle. Or guard, excuse me, from Crenshaw High School. The Big Bear, I'm going to name, give him the name to Big Bear. The Big Bear as a freshman has done a, such a tremendous job. I got everybody. I got an old name. The Touchdown Twins, Lee and Woods. Uh, Scooter, Scooter is McNeil. Nice. The Big Bear is Marcus Martin. So before the season is done, these guys will all have new names. All right. I like it, Coach. And uh, thanks for uh, that question from the U.K. I guess it was Sunday by the time the game was played. So when they were watching it, it was on Sunday. Um, <laughs> it's there. Uh, let's see. Gerald had a question. He's, it's about the officiating. He said, when I watched the officials when Oregon played Ohio State, Auburn, and LSU, they didn't appear to put the ball in play nearly as quickly as the Pac-10 refs did during the USC game. What is your opinion on this? And in one play, they even forgot to measure for the first down when the player ran out a yard shy and just gave them the first, the first to put the ball in play again. Kelly and the crowd appeared to force the pace of the game. And I did remember seeing that play, Coach. It looked like it was clearly short, and they just gave him the first down and let him run and move on. Do you, I mean, it, it seems like there's some inadequate, uh, I mean, I guess inadequacies as far as they're putting things, you know, the ball in play quickly for Oregon than they would in a normal situation. Well, I agree with 100%, especially when you're on your sideline and you have the chain crew, okay? Those are your buddies. You just put a shirt on them that has stripes on it, okay? But they live in Eugene. They work there. They don't fly those guys in. They're, they're local people moving the chains, okay? When Oregon has the ball, all he tells them is pick up the pace. Will you move the damn chains? Otherwise, next week he won't be there, okay? That's a sideline pass. But I think that's wrong. I think officials should officiate the game equally for both teams as far as spotting the ball and as far as moving the chains. I've said that before. Before I would play the University of Oregon, the first thing I would do is call the commissioner of officials, that's Tony Correnti, at the conference office, and I'd say, I've got a, who's working the game? They'd tell me the name of the crew. I'd go back and get three tapes and see how they moved the chains. I would send that to him, have one of my GAs break that down and say, Look at the way they're moving the chains. Now, this week, I expect them to move the chains at the same pace. Not pick it up because they're giving Oregon a, uh, an advantage. Move it. And I'm not asking them to move it at our pace. Move it at the same pace that they moved it at the last three games they worked. And I'd make them hold to that. And, and I'd send them another tape of if they didn't do that and say, hey, these guys are running around. They weren't running around last week setting the ball down. What's going on with it? That's an advantage for the University of Oregon. So, yes, when you have your own, especially at home, uh, when you put the, the play up immediately on the big screen so that Chip Kelly can look up there to see whether he sh you know, it should be challenged or what's going on up there replayed and what's going on with the secondary and so on. Hey, don't think coaches don't use that screen and players to see what's going on. So uh, a lot of that is true, and and uh, and I, there's no question in my mind that they accommodate teams with that. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. We really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, awesome victory for USC fans. I mean, I don't think you can put it any other way. It was a lot of a lot of them were shocked, and uh, the the peristyle on uscfootball.com was going crazy. A lot of people happy, even with the 
how it got close at the end. Just being able to win up in Eugene, it's a, it's a pretty big one. You know, a lot of momentum for this team going into the offseason if they can take care of business against UCLA next week. Yeah, it's sort of strange, isn't it, when you think about a team going possibly ten and two, and last week or next week's the last or this week's the last day of practice. It's a little different situation, something new for USC, and I think they'll grow from it, don't like it, come back and get ready to play next year and give the coaches a little bit more time, too, to prepare for recruiting and go out and scout and go to high school CIF games and so on. And uh, and uh, they, they really have a brand again. The brand of USC Trojan football is now national, and I think that's something they've tried to accomplish this year, and they've been able to accomplish that. All right. Well, great stuff again, Coach. We appreciate you coming on, and we'll we'll talk to you again next week after the final game of the season. Unbelievable game! The season's almost over. UCLA on Saturday, and we'll we'll talk to you next Monday. We'll talk to everyone next Monday, and again, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Please enjoy your family and loved ones. Make sure you make that special call to someone that you don't think will get a call. I always think of that, and I always try to call as many people that I know that maybe doesn't have someone around that loves them or doesn't have somebody still alive that, you know, that, that you can take a moment to make their day. And again, guys, thank you very much. Great advice, Coach. Thanks very much. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We'll talk to you uh, next week, Coach. Everyone else, 30 seconds. We're going to talk to Dan Weber, USCfootball.com beat writer. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have Dan Weber on the line, uscfootball.com beat writer, who was up there in Eugene for the crazy weekend game, weekend game over the weekend against the Oregon Ducks. Uh, Dan, how's it going? Very good. That uh, was uh, kind of actually what I thought might be happening, but Again, I think I tried to <clears throat> tell myself and tell everybody this team is so much better than it was three weeks ago, but they didn't know how much better they were. I don't think the coaches were absolutely sure. They're so young, and uh, I'm sure Oregon didn't. And, you know, it's just one of those. And what you remember is in 2002 when they went to Oregon, uh, at the end of the year, uh, not quite this late, I guess, maybe the third last game, they were um, they were ranked 15th, and Oregon was ranked 14th with that Carson Palmer team. And with the 44-33 win then, they uh, essentially ended up, by the end of the year, they were in the top four, which is the only way they could get into the Orange Bowl at the uh, and play Iowa which really got them started as uh, the dynasty under Pete. And they went from, you know, 15th to 4th in, uh, in, in like a heartbeat. And uh, they wouldn't have been able to go to the Rose Bowl that year because they lost that overtime game to Washington State. So there are more similarities with this team and that 2002 team, except, you know, that team had a 50-year quarterback, Carson Palmer. This is a third-year quarterback or whatever. But, but – 
mostly uh, the fact that they got so much better <clears throat> in the second half of the season, and it was so obvious to the team, uh, the coaches, and then the rest of the world. And if this team, for example, still had the chance to play in the conference championship game and a BCS bowl game, this team might have the same opportunity uh, to finish in the top four. It's that kind of momentum that's built up with this team at the end of the year that that you're just saying, wow, look at how much better they are, say, when they played Stanford. I mean, it's just amazing. This team has uh, – and that's what happens with young teams that play hard and have really good talent. And, that, you know, this team does have talent, and it's starting to get recognized. I was listening to uh, Lane Kiffin on the Dan Patrick Show this morning, and he talked about Matt Barkley getting, uh, not getting enough credit. I mean, he should get more credit for playing on a probation team. He gets overlooked a little bit more than that. Uh, but a lot of people now look like they're putting him in, the, uh, in their Heisman top three. Well, and, and that's the exact thing that happened with Carson. Carson, yeah. uh, people don't realize this. That was my first year covering the team. And Carson, I went back and looked at some of like the preseason magazines and things like that. Carson, as a senior, was the, like the 20th ranked quarterback in the country uh, going into his senior year. And, and Barkley, obviously, has been highly ranked, and people paid attention to him, but then they forget about him. It's like he doesn't exist, and you keep thinking – one after another of these Heisman guys have kind of fallen by the wayside. And here comes Matt just playing one big game after another. I mean, just, you know, it's amazing. I mean, who else has won a bigger game than, uh, than that? Uh, you know, and, and this is, I think, in the Pac-12 quarterbacks maybe do get overlooked because there are some really good quarterbacks. I mean, here you go. What a difference. For example, the game of the century, supposedly, Alabama – and uh and LSU and they're played you know it's played in a game with uh there's no quarterback I mean that's what's so amazing in the Pac-12 we take quarterbacks for granted but uh, honestly I I tell people now Washington State has three quarterbacks who would start at Alabama wow. it's true <laughs> USC might have four that would start for Alabama I mean <laughs> You won't let the guy throw the ball down. I mean, you know, it seems like a nice kid, but can you name him? I mean, how can these teams be – I mean, and, and we were, I was talking to some uh, USC people last night who wanted to talk about the game, and they said, you do know if USC and Alabama played in a bowl game in about six weeks, there's no way Alabama beats them because Alabama wouldn't score enough points, and they wouldn't have seen a team that can throw the ball you know, you can say how good their defense is. How good is it against a team that can really throw the ball? We'll never know because they won't play anybody uh, that that really throws the ball well. Uh, the way USC is throwing it now, uh, the way with the kind of diversity in the attack and, and all of that. And uh, USC has the athletes, too. I think in large part Alabama and LSU usually out-athlete other teams, and they just kind of get worn down. And, and USC is not as deep right now, but they do have – the high-caliber athletes that they could hang with teams like that? Oh, I think without a doubt. I think the thing that would make it really difficult, if, if say, Alabama and USC played, would be Alabama basically is going to run the ball at you. Honestly, USC has gotten to become very similar to those peak teams where they just won't let people run the ball on them. You know, you say, well, they're, they're maybe not as big. Uh, I, I would feel 
fairly confident that USC's uh, defense now, as the, the way it's constituted now, would not let an Alabama, for example, really run the ball on them. And a USC's offense, as constituted now, would make life very, very difficult. Even for a team that's got great athletes and great you know, ability all over the field, if you haven't seen anybody that can attack you the way USC could and would, it's really hard to be ready for that one game. Uh, you, know, you might be able to get ready for, say, uh, Oregon, the way Auburn did last year, uh, uh, which is gonna, where they're going to run the ball at you a little bit more. But to get ready for a, a pass offense the way USC is doing it now, the way with the two with Robert and uh, who, who was just named the finalist, one of the three finalists for the um, Boletnikoff Award, and a Marquise Lee who's better than you than he could have imagined, than you could have imagined, than anybody could imagine right now, uh, and to have those two on opposite sides and doing the things they're doing with them, and to have the tight ends playing the way they are, and Essentially, not having, you know, a sack against a, 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 an off, a defense like Oregon, let's say, that really takes chances and prides itself on its quickness and and giving you different looks. And they didn't get a sack. I mean, they got credited for one on that unbelievable worst call in the history of college football, that uh, intentional grounding, which actually gives them a team sack statistically, which just Somewhere, somebody ought to be able to get the Pac-12 to overturn that and say the rule's wrong. We're not, you know, we're not saying you gave up a sack. But think how good USC's offensive line has become to not give up a sack in a his game, a big as big a game as that is, and as many chances as Oregon takes, and as many different ways as they try to come at you with uh, with quickness, uh, they didn't get there. That's true, yeah, and I'll, I'll give Lane Kiffin credit too for he let Barkley get the get rid of the ball quickly on a lot of plays, and you saw Oregon guys kind of coming free, but that was the by play design. But you mentioned that intentional grounding call. We got a, we had a lot of questions too, so we're gonna have to rapid fire these. Okay, days. go ahead. I, but okay. we needed to talk about this game though. You know, the last few podcasts it's just been all questions. We wanted to get some of your insight too, just from uh, general stuff. But David and Ed both wrote in about the intentional grounding call. And David actually referred to the rule book. He said, Section 3 of the NCAA rules defined intentional grounding as throwing into an area where there's no eligible receiver if done to conserve time or conserve yardage. Barkley was obviously not trying to do either of those things. Well, yeah. I mean, there's that little neg- you know, little nasty word, intentional. It obviously wasn't intentional. <laughs> and he was getting no pressure. I mean... Hello, I don't care if that, you know, the ref's uh, Ed Hockley's kid or not, and he's the hot young guy, and they hired him out of, you know, and I thought he did a really good job. Uh, he was here all four scrimmages in the spring. I really liked him, but come on, and there was no one on that crew that could go up and say, hey, uh, uh, Sean, uh, pick up the flag. That's, a, that's imbecilic. And, and the thing that really hurt was that's a penalty where you also lose the down. And so that was another three and out. Uh, you know, they, they, they certainly couldn't get a first down. I'm trying to remember if that was the first series uh, on that, on that uh, possession. But still, uh, that's a really killer penalty. I mean, it just plus it, it plays with, like, I, you can see Barkley's eyes are, like, spinning around, like, what? You, you, what? You know, it was like, no way. And that's what gets you thinking, like, what's going on here? That, yeah. that that call has never been made in history. 
The and, USC's uh, had a couple of those with Kiffin's sideline violation, and then that one, you're like, calls that you've never, ever seen before. No, they, uh, th- this is the problem now. We know that they were trying. We know they've hired new guys and all that. Uh, and I was, you were, we went to the, you know, the seminar, and we really, you know, you like Pereira, Mike Pereira, who oversaw it all as the consultant, and then you like, uh, uh, oh gosh, Tony Carani, the NFL guy who's uh who's running it but you realize uh where the pac-10 officiating had gone over the last number of years uh one year is probably not enough time to correct it because this is another one of those games where like the stanford game they're not ready for prime time they get that look on their face like usc used to get at the end of games last year and that's not a good look and uh uh they're just overwhelmed by uh you know they know they're on national television they know people are looking at them and they just they really make calls you just think i mean you know i think the most egregious thing i saw the whole game was robert woods getting mugged on that interception i mean he was right in the middle of the field who could not have seen that if you were on the field with what happened to him as the ball is coming that way i mean he clearly got taken out of that play uh, and they get, you know, big turnover on that play. I mean, again, that's a, you know, the only interception and the only sack, basically neither one of them should have been allowed. Uh, it's just <laughs> amazing. And then the, the, the catch, the touchdown catch that uh, um, uh, DeAnthony makes the quote-unquote touchdown. Are you kidding me? There's like five me? different I mean, ways he shouldn't have, he didn't catch that ball, and he still uh, picked. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lane Kiffin's, uh, Lane Kiffin's uh, look was priceless. It's kind of amazing. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I I couldn't even imagine what do those guys talk about? I mean, well, we went out, I got to be the pool reporter at the Stanford game and, uh, it almost looked like I had a gun on them when you saw that, you know, they looked like, you know, they knew they had to know how bad they had uh, finished that game off. And, uh, and I, I, I just would love to have a, have a mic in there sometime and be able to hear them talk about, uh, you know, what they just did because, you know, they're, I think they're actually trying to get it right. It just looks like it's too big for them and too fast, and uh, and they got too many different you know competing pressures. And you know, obviously, that's a tough deal. I would say this: in the SEC, you probably wouldn't see the team that's going to win a bowl game or going to can't go to a bowl game like USC beat the team that could, or even could especially go maybe even if things work out to the BCS championship game. That game wouldn't happen in the uh, SEC. So you got to give them some props, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I think there are an awful lot of uh, our posters on the P who didn't think uh, that was possible, that you could go in there knowing that uh, Oregon still had a chance to go to the BCS championship game and that you could come out with a win. So that may say something. Maybe it just says something about how, how well USC played. For sure. But, uh, you know. Yeah, for the most part, they took it out of the officials' hands just by beating beating them down, and then it kind of got close at the end. Um, okay, well, let's uh, we got a whole bunch of questions still, so let's jump into these. Pat, and we have a voicemail question on the same subject. It's about uh, Phil Knight, and he's talking about having all the NBA players down there on the sideline, and were they there to impress Eric Armstead on his official trip? And here's a, here's a voicemail question on that, too. Yes, hi, I'm calling to, uh, first of all, I want to give big Kudos to the coach staff for a big, impressive win against Oregon. Uh, I really doubt the team would pull off, but they they had a plan all along, and 
and they accomplished it. Good, good, good for the team. Good win. But I'm calling to uh, ask Dan about Phil Phil Knight. You know, at first he didn't really bother me, but now it's starting to bother me. You know, he he's, he has a lot of his hands on, on the program. I mean, he's flying in NBA players, which is fine with me. But I saw a tweet about Eric Armstead that he was at Phil Sweet Phil Knight Sweet, which you know raised my eyebrows and. I mean, this is getting out of hand. Dan, do you think Ben Stable is already looking into this, or they're just going to let it go, or just pretend, like, shrug it off? Thanks, Dan. All right. Well, I don't know. That's a really good question. The problem you've got here with the NCAA is you don't know. They could just shrug it off. They were looking so hard, they found a really bad thing that USC did by taking kids to Papadakis Taverna, where, you know, a former USC football player might happen to come by and say, wow, I love going to USC. What a great place. You guys would too. That was like, oh, what a terrible violation that was. And now we have uh, players evidently being, uh, you know, brought in by a booster. If Phil Knight's not a booster, there isn't a booster. Uh, in a college athletic program in America. And uh, boosters are expressly forbidden from doing anything involving recruiting. And if you're putting them together with pro athletes, they didn't even like it that USC was bringing back Heisman Trophy winners to just stand on the sidelines and watch games. And you're allowed to put them together in a booth with guys that had no connection to the University of Oregon, but just to a booster? and to the shoes they're wearing. Uh, problem is, though, it's up to the NCAA. They can look the other way, say nothing there. I don't know. Don't. What are you talking about? We Our investigation is over. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, you, it makes the point of how ridiculously over the top and how clearly they were looking to nail USC, and they didn't care what, what kind of evidence they got. So, First of all, I mean, you don't have Paul D. on the committee. You don't have Paul D. running the committee. You don't have a Paul D. who's trying to come up with somebody and saying they're just as guilty as we were at Miami uh, and not telling you that he's also got a second scandal going at the same time as he's coming down on USC. But uh, uh, it is the problem with the NCAA and the way they enforce things that will uh, – we might never know if they even pay any attention to that or not, but it's clearly a, a violation. And the penalty, I think, it really should be that those kids aren't allowed to go to that school if they took them into that suite with the boosters and um, and uh, and the Nike guys. But I will say this: in being at the Notre Dame game and walking past Eric as he waited with the other California kids outside the Notre Dame locker room. Uh, and the press room is right next door. And as you walk by it, Eric gives you this little little grin like uh, he's embarrassed as heck to be there because he knew how how uncomfortable that they were getting ready to go into the Notre Dame locker room. And he knew that was going to be really uncomfortable, and I'm not sure if they took him into the uh, Oregon locker room or not after the game. But, again, you know, I can't. Eric's like uh, USC's good luck charm. Just keep sending him to all those away games. <laughs> they don't have a bowl game. They could send him to the bowl game, too. Uh, uh, have the other team have him visit. But, uh, well, and, uh, and, Dan, Gerard also had an update on that. Um, and we, He posted on the Peristyle. He was saying that uh, Eric or, or his family confirmed later that it was 
the tweet was kind of taken well, it, it, it was misunderstood they were getting a tour of the facility beforehand so i don't think he was hanging out in this at least from what they're saying i don't know what happened but at right. least from what they're saying that they got a tour of the facility and saw they were they got to go through his box but weren't like there hanging out with him watching the game i think that would clearly be a violation so i don't think that's what happened Okay. Uh, but Gerard yeah, will have I mean, more of that on the Paris. I would say they're probably right on the edge, of, you know, because let's face it, uh, uh, LeBron was all over, you know, before the game and all around. And I mean, I think the message is there uh, clearly, even if uh, even if they, uh, you know, know exactly that. Well, Phil, you stay outside until the players go through and whatever. I mean, you know. I guess you you do what you can do that that helps your case, um, and which is why just win football games, you know, and and that's what you have to do, and uh, you know let the others uh, you know really put you. And the only reason anybody at USC even cares about that is how they were because of the way they were treated, right? And the way the NCA just you know. I mean, if you remember before the Texas uh, game in the uh, in the in the Rose Bowl. Uh, there was a gigantic story from uh, some Fort Worth newspaper on the Papadakis Taverna and how expensive the meals were and how can USC be taking these kids to a restaurant that was so expensive and it turns out they misread the menu and they were looking at, you know, like group prices for some, you know, dishes and they said, and it's way away from campus and you know, oh, this is such a terrible violation. You know, I was just uh, so we'll give USC fans a chance to kind of, uh, uh, you know, maybe react a little bit to uh, to Nike and, and, and Phil Knight and all yeah. that. Although, from what we hear, the NBA players weren't all that impressed with uh, <laughs> with the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, I think and, and maybe was... mentioned it to Phil. That's yeah. what I what I heard. Um, okay, well, let's let's move on. We got some more questions to get to. We're running out of time, but uh, Jeff is a math teacher in Fountain Valley, and he's saying he just wanted to say this year's Oregon game was much more satisfying to watch than the last few, not just because of the victory. All the talk about Oregon's up-tempo offense, it seems like last year's game featured a quick rush to the line of scrimmage, followed by about twenty-five seconds of audibleizing and posturing, gesturing before the snap. I know that's part of their game plan, but it makes the game painful to watch. I was wondering if. We saw less of this on Saturday because the FSC defense didn't show as much before the snap as far as coverages go, or maybe it's just the Ducks were playing from behind, or was it louder and Otson making audibles more difficult? Just curious. That's Jeff in Fountain Valley. I think you're right about last year and the whole show for you know trying to make people or they wait made you wait wait and they made you think they were doing all this stuff and that. I think basically too USC didn't try to do anything extra special or whatever. They pretty much got lined up and said, our guys can run with your guys. Go ahead, run your play. And uh, I think it was much more, and uh, I think Oregon actually ran plays quicker and tried to, you know, beat UC to the punch, uh, UIC to the punch, and they just couldn't. Their athletes weren't any quicker. I mean, I think Oregon's only seen that once this year, obviously. They saw it, you know, with LSU. And I think I, what I like is it, when you talk to USC players all week, all they talked about and all the coaches talked about was they went to school on the LSU game. And it wasn't so much LSU had a grand scheme. It was LSU tackled and tackled in space and you played fast and used their athletes. 
So this game, you didn't see USC trying to outsmart them, out-nuance them, out-organize uh, them, out-line up with them. You just saw them getting in the best position for every play and just trying to make a play. And that's what, you know, USC probably always should do because you've got to figure if USC's doing it right, they're going to have athletes who can run and tackle people and be aggressive. They always have. They always will. I think last year was an anomaly. I don't think they understood quite. Uh, I know people, you know, second-guessed us because they said, yeah, they say they look good in spring. Or they have athletes who could run and tackle people. They weren't allowed to do that because they were in all kinds of NFL sort of defenses and reading and reacting and, and trying to be real smart and, uh, and all of that. And they were probably trying to do things college kids don't do all that well. I mean, Juwan's a starling in an aggressive uh, uh, attacking defense is a really good football player. I'm not sure he's ever, you know, been made to be, uh, you know, the kind of guy who's going to be a 10-year NFL veteran, you know, back there reading and reacting and, uh, you know, starting from just standing standstill. And uh, I think that's what, you know, USC playing more of a, you know, an aggressive type uh, LSU kind of a defense. Uh, and that's kind of a nice thing. You got a, you know, Starling from Florida, and you got Isaiah Wiley, and you got Nick Alroby. You got, you got kind of SEC. You know, that's the one place everybody SEC. They got the defensive lineman. They got the de- defensive secondary, and that's the one thing USC. You know, playing like USC used to play, and they're playing like um, you know the really good SEC teams on defense. Uh, okay, we got one more question, a voicemail question. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755 is the number. We appreciate those. And uh, here's one for you, Dan. Hi, this is Mike from New York. Um, quick question, and I apologize if it's been answered. I didn't hear it. I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole last podcast. Um, it, it seems like it's more than possible that we could have an entire year go by with nobody but Matt taking a snap except for garbage time, you know, in the last, you know, one or two minutes. And so we don't have a quarterback with any experience. And I'm thinking there's a better chance than not that Barkley will leave after this year. So the question for the coach or for Dan or anybody that wants to handle it, isn't anybody else concerned that we're not getting any experience to um, any of our number two quarterbacks, however they're ranked? And I understand the reasoning for keeping the red shirts on as much as possible, but it seems like the downside's outweighing that. So I'd be really uh, appreciative if, if you could tackle that question and maybe get into um, the kind of thoughts you're having on that. And cause I'd, I'd hate to feel that we have a great team coming back, except for the quarterback who leaves early and leaving us with no experience. Thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. Bye. Uh, you know, I think, Mike, <clears throat> it could have been different had USC come out probably the first four or five games and played like they're playing now or understood how good they could be or understood some of the things and wouldn't have, uh, you know, kept those games closer than they ever should have been, uh, where they, you know, weren't about to just bring somebody in and, and, and just, uh, you know, and just play them. And, and it would have been Cody Kessler, and that would have been using up his red shirt. And so then you'd have had uh, his red shirt used up. I, I'm not sure. Uh, which way, and I know that they don't necessarily 
want with the three quarterbacks coming back with uh you know and it, 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 we still haven't you know known for sure we still won't know for sure what what the when you know, Barkley's going Matt Barkley's going to do and there there you could make a case for coming back a fairly strong case I mean uh, it would be one of the great uh, some your nose moments at the um, you know NCA and the BCS and the Pac-12 and everything else if he did and uh, Matt kind of likes to make statements, and it would be probably one of the most endearing moments for a football player at USC in history, and maybe, uh, you know, might solidify Matt as the, you know, kind of most beloved USC football player ever. Uh, so there are there's some reasons for him to come back. But I think they really did want to have these guys even. They want, you know, Wittick and, uh, and Kessler and uh, Scroggins and uh, three who will be red shirt. Uh, basically, they'll be, you know, equal, uh, you know, in terms of kind of eligibility and all that. If Scroggins, you know, you put him in for a few plays this year, uh, you know, I don't know that it does enough for him. He really got two months behind, and, uh, you know, John Manigian has gotten some, you know, snaps in there, and, and does that help him? I don't know. Uh, I don't think you could give him the kind of quality game time it really matters for him. Now, for example, if Matt gets knocked out early in, in you know, Saturday and, and, and Eugene, uh, Cody Kessler was coming in. There was no question about it. Uh, he was the guy that, you know, that was ready. Now they're getting Scroggins ready for, uh, you know, uh, uh, mop-up time if that ever, you know, ever should happen uh, because he's not going to be able to, you know, benefit from a red shirt this year. He's already, he's already taken his. But the other two, I think they just decided, let's give them a chance. We'll keep them even, uh, and, uh, and and we'll start them out all even. Uh, you know, uh, Kessler's getting a lot of a lot of backup play in practice. So, uh, and I think I would I feel fairly confident if he went out there, even though he hasn't been out there. Just a combination of his attitude, his uh, ability to kind of handle things, and uh, and the work he's gotten even though not in game situations. So probably now it doesn't matter. Uh, had they gotten a chance early to get one of those guys in uh, and then maybe, you know, played several other games, I think that might have mattered. But once you got past the midway of the se- mid- middle part of the season, I can understand the, ration- you know, the rationale now. All right. Uh, well, Dan, that's uh, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. One more game left. One more. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for thanks for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. I think we're going to do a, a special recruiting segment and in a separate podcast. So we'll stay tuned for that since we went we went pretty long on this show with uh, Coach and Dan. So we'll do a special recruiting segment, just recruiting only, and uh, you can check in on that. We'll put that up tomorrow. But thanks again for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon on recruiting. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.